Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, Allahumma salli wa sallim, wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in, Allahumma la sahla, illa ma ja'altahu sahla, wa anta tajalul hazna, idha sha'ala sahla, Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatik, ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Everybody, good evening and uh, welcome to all folks, old and new. Young and elderly, I greet you from uh, Qahira, from Cairo, alhamdulillah. I will apologize in advance, Umm dunya is good, it's still the Umm dunya the kids are well, uh, family is good, but we are in a busy moment, a busy moment because the um, there's work going on at home, I apologize for the unimaginative background just legged it into Yahya's room because they're working in bathrooms and this and that like missions basically missions so unfortunately it's not a very nice uh, view but also a bit noisy at the back as well I hope that the audio is okay also the internet's rubbish as well we've been trying to work out some solutions I've gone with just basically buying mobile data we're going to try and do this via mobile so I hope that the picture's clear but more important, I hope that the audio is clear. I really do. But let's see. Let's see yani, how that uh, is, um, how that's actually uh, doing. Let's see. Um, the, uh, but the sound, if it starts to get too disturbing and you can hear it, then let me know because they're doing all kinds of stuff at the back. But let's see, inshallah. Um, okay, so guess what? We came to Cairo. And we start the fifth volume. We are fifth volume in, brand new volume, brand new number five. Bismillah, mashaAllah. Look at that. I mean, when was the last time you saw that at the front? And all that to come, huh? It's not really, I, we normally spend roughly about three years on each volume, bro. So this is no joke. Although, you know, we've been going quite smooth over the last few months, I found. Some people liked it, some people didn't like it. It is what it is. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, busy moments because um, Hajj is seriously heating up, meaning that it could go live any moment. And so that Telegram group is like hundreds of people there. And, you know, got to keep an eye on that. And the Fiqh of Death went live, which is a massive thing. It's a massive thing. Today I went to the book fair. Not because I wanted to go to the book fair, because I've got no space for any more books, frankly. But I went because they're working in a house and it's so dusty and it's so madness. And um, and I just needed to get out of the house. And so we went anyway. I'm going to do the same tomorrow so that we can not die basically of smoke and dust inhalation. And I came across a really nice, two really nice uh, new pieces of research on uh, one aspect to do with Janazah but one with, um, with respect to waqf and um, keep tuned to everything online, social media, blah, blah, and especially the almaghrib.org, almaghrib.online URL, which is what will lead to the fiqh of death class because it's, as usual, we're going to pack everything in. So it's much more just than the fiqh of death and just the fiqh of inheritance. 
a lot of stuff. The, the stuff that's really interesting for me, of course, is the issues around medication, palliative care, operations, vaccinations, um, all the controversies. But life support is a big thing. And organ donations are a huge amount, especially those out there who are professionals and those obviously who, who are not, but will at some point face it. You know, I was recording the uh, thing the other day, the like summary, and I, th I said something, I noticed afterwards when I watched it back to see if it was okay before I sent it on to the editing team. And I said something and I thought, Shuka man, I just said that off the, off the cuff and it's so true. Every single person, no, no, sorry, no, virtually, nearly every single person that um, uh, is part of this class that will study it will at some point go on to some form of life support that will go on to some form of life support. Whether it's a ventilator, whether it's a CPAP machine, whether it's some form of trying to keep you alive when your body is basically said about it. Now, I don't want to spoil the class, but I said that off the cuff, and I didn't even say that in the class. And in the class, I spoke about that I genuinely believe, and this is obviously from my own pocket, but I genuinely believe that different generations of people, let alone Muslims, will be tested differently. I've always believed that, by the way. I've always believed that. But I, I, think, I think teaching the fiqh of death gave me a deeper, more, more authentic, yeah, more backed up evidence-based understanding that this is going to happen. I want you to think about this. I'm sorry to jump into this class, but I'm really like stoked on this stuff at the moment. Reflect upon this thought, yeah? Not a single member of the generation of the companions, the Prophet at the head of them, and then the generations after that for a number of years, was ever on any kind of life support. And you might say, well, that's obvious. No, it's not obvious. Because palliative care was something that was well known and making the situation easy and giving us time to be able to think and make decisions was a thing, right? So there was trying to delay and there was trying to keep people in the game when they could just be left to go. But the truth is, is that they all went very, very quickly when the situation got stuck in. There's a massive trial in that. That trial, I will say, is physical pain. I want to say to you guys that we have been trialed in the opposite way. I think because of the fact that the vast majority of us will be on life support because it would basically be untenable, illegal and unethical and too shocking for us not to be just because of the health system. I'm not even saying that I want to be, but I'm just saying that's how it is. Everyone's going to go on there. There'll be just human rights legislation and God knows what. And as a result, there will be some form of external physical pain that will not be experienced. But there has to be a replacement for that. And that replacement is either some metaphysical pain that we can't see, that's killing us inside, whilst we are knocked out, comatose, whether on morphine, whether on a ventilator, whether in a, a comatose state of some other form, or something in life, whether it's the the liberal kind of secular agenda, which is so attractive as a way of life. It brings so many benefits. It brings so much peace. It keeps people so happy. 
you know, the majority of people are so, so happy to embrace that. Um, I'll go even further. I'll say that the world's economic systems at the moment are so, so dependent upon that. The middle class that exists in all of the Muslim countries, I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and especially as I've arrived in Egypt, they predict that tomorrow or the day after tomorrow or soon, there could be a devaluation of the currency. You know, it's devastating what's happening to the Muslim countries. For us, it's no problem because we earn pounds and dollars. We come here, we're treated like kings. I want to share with you, I know that I've gone right off the bloody path here, but, you know, ultimately we've got to speak about important things. I, to be honest, I don't even know what's more important than what I'm about to say. Pakistan right now, going through elections as it, as it stands, the currency has pretty much lost half its value in our time last few years. And when that happens, people become super desperate for foreign currency. By that, they mean the pound and the dollar. And they will do all kinds of things. And they will put their people, the, the, the economists of the country, the financial leaders of the country, will create policies that will do absolutely everything and anything to protect their currency in the eyes of the kuffar outside, in the eyes of the dollar and the pound. Even if that means inflation being let go as it is, and prices being adjusted and currencies being devalued, that completely obliterates the wealth of the masses. The vast majority of the working class who do not have themselves outside or their families outside or their relatives working outside sending money, and the few that do, are the ones that are controlling the agenda of the financial situation inside. So when you look in the countries, when you go back to them, like, uh, and it's not just Muslim countries, and it's not just poor countries. Look at South Africa, for example. That's another good example. But anyway, Pakistan especially, and the election about to come up, and then Egypt especially. And to give you an example, imagine this, guys. Imagine this, that a pound was worth, say, 20 Egyptian pounds. I remember a time when it was about 10 to 12, okay, Egyptian pounds. Then for the last few years, it was around 20. So imagine 20 Egyptian pounds to one sterling pound. Within one year, that had doubled. So 40 Egyptian pounds as the whole situation crashed, okay, and the economy crashed, and they're so desperate now, okay. Think about this now for a second. It's been steadily holding out 40 Egyptian pounds to one pound when you go to the exchange or do it by a bank or you pay by card, the exchange rate. However, if you are in the country right now, on the black market, you can give a pound and you will receive 80, not 41, not 42, not 43, 80 Egyptian pounds. That's twice the market rate twice as a result of that the costs of basic stuff in terms of bread and milk and whatever and flour is not even going up according to the double or halving of the value of everything from 20 to 40 but a non-official black market rate of 80 why because people are so enslaved to the dollar so enslaved to the kuffar and their financial policies. I was thinking about this, that the world is so desperate for the financial ease and success of liberal secularism and capitalism, which is of course the financial system that supports the ideology of liberal uh, secularism, that it has destroyed 
entirely the financial system of the Muslim countries and the ideological system of the Muslim countries. And that's why people do not worship Allah as they, as they should, but they worship liberalism and secularism. And I want to say to you that if you want a left field kind of understanding of the, the trial of the Muslim generations of today, then I believe it is liberal secularism in the way that it makes people feel better, it's in the way that it makes their finances dependent upon them. And I just want you to reflect upon that, that life support is going to take away one of the easy, simple trials, not easy, but simple, I should say, trials that was just of physical pain. In the place of physical pain, we've been given an ideological pain, which is a billion times worse. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us. That's all I'll say. And this is the kind of stuff that I have to think about a lot, man, and it depresses me big time. But anyway, all right. So, so that's happening at the same time for of death, and then the, everything's all happening this year. The whole schedule for this year has been out. There's so much happening, man. May Allah protect us, man. May Allah keep us busy in the khair. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us all thabat. Allahumma ameen. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala take us all on iman. Allahumma ameen. All right, guys. So the fifth uh, volume, we start today, and a massive new chapter, the book, actually, of Jumu'ah. Bab Salatul Jumu'ah. Okay, so let's have a look at that, ladies and gentlemen. The notes have been done. I was organized. Bismillah, mashallah. Did lots of translating. So if you click on Shazad's link right at the beginning of the chat, you will see Bab Salatil Jumu'ah. Jumu'ah. Okay, not Jumu'ah. Yeah, it's not a sukun. People say Jumu'ah. Yeah, it's Jumu'ah. Remember that. Jumu'ah. So our author says, and I'll read the lot out actually, this is not the entire chapter, but you know. He says, uh, ومن سقطت عنه لعذر وجبت عليه ونقدت به ومن صلى الظهر ممن عليه حضور الجمعة قبل صلاة الإمام لم تصح وتصح ممن لم وتصح ممن لا تجب عليه والأفضل حتى يصل الإمام ولا يجوز لمن تلزمه السفر في يومها بعد الزوال Subsection chapter يشترط لصحتها شروط ليس منها إذن الإمام أحدها الوقت وأوله أول وقت صلاة العيد وآخره آخر وقت صلاة الظهر فإن خرج وقتها قبل التحريم صلوا ظهر وإلا فجمعة الثاني حضور أربعين من أهل وجوبها الثالث أن يكونوا بقرية مستوطنين وتصح فيما قارب البنيان من الصحراء فإن نقصوا قبل إتمامها استأنفوا ظهرا ومن أدرك مع الإمام منح ركعة أتمها جمعة وإن أدرك أقل من ذلك أتمها ظهرا إذا كان نوى الظهرة ويشترط تقدم خطبتين ومن شرط صحتهما حمد الله 
والصلاه على رسوله صلى الله عليه محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وقراءه ايه والوصيه بتقوى الله والوصيه بتقوى الله عز وجل وحضور العدد المشترط ولا يشترط لهما الطهاره ولا يتولاهما من يتولى الصلاه ومن سننهما أن يخطب على منبر أو موضع عال ويسلم على المؤمنين إذا أقبل عليهم ثم يجلس إلى فراغ الأذان ويجلس بين الخطبتين ويخطب قائما ويعتمد على سيف أو قوس أو أصا ويقصد تلقاء وجهه ويقصر الخطبة ويدعو للمسلمين All right, the translation of majority of that the Friday prayer is obligatory on every free, legally responsible, resident male living in a built-up area that is known by a single name, even if it is divided in parts. As long as the mosque outside of this area is not further than a farsakh, it is not obligatory upon a traveller who has the right of shortening his prayers, neither upon a slave nor a woman. Whoever attends the prayer will have it accepted from them, but they cannot be used to convene its legal validity. That's, 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 that doesn't make sense. Whoever from them, that should say, okay? Whoever from these three, the traveler, slave, or the woman, please make, make, make that note. Whoever from them, attend, whoever from them, or whoever of these, if that's even English, whoever of these attends the prayer, so really it should be no or woman, dash, whoever from these attends the prayer will have it accepted from them, but they cannot be used to convene its legal validity. Neither can they lead the prayer. Whoever has an excuse to not pray it is obligated to pray it if they attend, and they can be used to establish the prayer's legal validity. Whoever was obligated to pray the Friday prayer, but instead offered the dhahr prayer before the imam had prayed will invalidate their prayer. However, if one who is not obligated to pray the Friday prayer does the same, like the woman at home who prays their dhahr prayer before the imam prays the Jum'ah, I'm just going to tell you the answer right now, it will be valid, even though it is better to delay their prayer until after the imam has prayed. It is not permissible for the one whom the Friday prayer is obligatory upon to travel after the start time of Dhuhr on Friday. There are a number of conditions for the validity of the Friday prayer. The permission of the Imam is not one of them. Firstly, the time. It starts from the beginning time of the Eid prayer and finishes when the time ends for the Dhuhr prayer. If one misses the time before even starting the prayer, he should offer the Dhuhr prayer, otherwise he is to pray the Friday prayer. Secondly, there must be 40 attendees present, all of whom legally convene the Friday prayer. Thirdly, and finally, these attendees must, be, must all be resident nationals of that town. However, the prayer is also valid outside any built-up areas if it is close by in the rural surroundings. If the number of attendees falls below the legal minimum before the prayer is completed, they must restart it again as the Dhuhr prayer. So a lot of stuff there, folks. Okay, a lot of stuff. And um, an interesting, an interesting statements made there and all kinds of stuff. Yep, let's jump straight in. Let's jump straight in. 
I saw something in the notes that, oh, yes, I've got a big announcement next week, by the way. Big announcement next week. Hope someone remind me, yeah. Um, Salatul Jumu'ah. Sheikh Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah, page five of the first, the, the, the fifth volume. He says, yeah, Salatul Jumu'ah, a word which indicates that the, the, the prayer that gathers. That's what he says. It gathers all the people together. And that's what happens. Everyone gets out for it. And Sheikh says that because actually the Muslims have a lot of gatherings. We do gatherings. And by that he means, uh, 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 you know, uh, rewarded Islamic ones. He doesn't mention a few here. But for example, walimas, for example, da'wah, aqiqa, lessons. Yeah. All of these are in of themselves intrinsically gatherings in which the people are meant to come together. And then he goes, but there's also uh, gatherings which are to do with like location and people as well. So the location, the, the gathering of the neighborhood is the five daily prayers, the hay. Ijtima'at hay. Fisalawat al-khamsa fi masjid al-hay. The neighborhood mosque that gathers the community. That's the community gathering, five times a day for the jama'ah. And then there is the gatherings of the country where the city gets together. Cities, I should say, actually, not the country. The cities. And so this is like, you know, the whole city coming together to do a single Jumu'ah prayer and a single Eid prayer. That's how it should be, of course. That's why these initiatives about Eid in a park and all this kind of stuff, this is how it should be. And this is also why I say that, you know, the way that we have our Jumu'ahs is more, more to do with capitalism than it is than Islam, Right? Like we're just trying to just justify to carry on working in these places, the hours that we do. So we establish small kind of gatherings as opposed to kind of going really hard. And I understand, of course, I'm a working guy as well. I know yeah, I need that, that you know, um, we kind of backed off on the matter and just, you know, accepted the pressure to put on people so that we can pray in our local masajid or, or hospitals or schools or whatever as opposed to forcing these folks to allow us Friday afternoon off so that we can all go and att attend huge mosque, huge area, the masjid, the Jamir is called, you know, the big community masjid. Um, and community meaning the city masjid, massive ones. So it turns into a right event. People really feel it, you know. You know, Friday is meant to be that day that you get reminded that, you know, in a busy week, like think about this, think about the, the, the Jum'ah that you pray in your workplace. Like, the, like the, exactly like the Jews managed to do for a Sabbath, 100%, 100%. So the, the uh, if you think about it, it's that one day, you know, that, that, that we've got that helps us out when we're just, just godless and miles away and get that buzz. And what are we doing? We're getting that buzz in the same workplace. Like, where's the, where's the spiritual break, right? Where, you know, you're hoping that the, one of the doctors or the consultants or one of some visiting yani, guy is going to come and give you a khutbah. He's yani, as stressed as you are. He also needs to make it five, ten minutes. He's, all the eyes are on him. All the pages are beeping. Everyone's being, you know, everyone's on call. And so, you know, um, and whether it's in school, you know. So, there, I listen, I get that there's pros and... And there's, you know, and some things, and, you, you know, uh, the alternative is, is whatever. But, I mean, it makes you wonder if we really had doubled down on it 
and not taking that path, but taking the path that we're just not going to go and do this at all. We're not going to take part in this capitalist kind of you know thingy. Uh, to be honest, uh, always you talk about East London Mosque and Regent's Park in the UK. We built our masajid, right? Not for the legal jumaa that we should be doing and that we know. That's the fact. Look how look how small our masajid are. They're crazy, bro, right? Um, and you know, so they wouldn't be they wouldn't be big enough, Yanni, if we were thing. Mahjabin, these questions will come. Yeah, these questions will come. Meaning that we're going to be covering it in text uh, form. Uh, in the text, I mean. Anyway, so the Sheikh says that. So we have we have a bigger gathering, and that's the gathering of the cities. And then we have wajtima'at aqtar, and then we have the the gatherings of the regions, okay, um, and the and the uh, continents, and the world, the Muslim world, and that's the Hajj. And that's the Hajj in Mecca. So, Hajj uh, Ijtima'at, you see that these gatherings, they are small, the five prayers, and then medium, Eid prayer, Jumu'ah prayer, and then huge ones, which is the Hajj. And all of these Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated uh, to, you know, keep this, the, 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 the Muslims yani, increasing in their awareness of Allah, increasing in their love of one another. So important, man, these gatherings. You know, we are not solo people and that's what the world wants you to believe that's what capitalism wants you to believe because you are worth so much man you know ultimately you walk around and you've just got dollar signs on your head it's about who can who can eke out of you the most because you're just bare walking money right i was walking in there i was walking in the the <laughs> i was walking in the book fair today i said to my missus i said to her listen I'm not getting a single book. I don't care. There's no space. There's no space. I've got no space. Custom, no space. Everywhere now. There's now crazy places where the books are kept. They're all over the place. And I can't build any more shelves. Every wall's taken. Two, three, two full rooms. One's a huge room. Now there's no space. They've gone upstairs. They've gone into the kids' rooms. There's no space. I said, I'm not buying anything. And I held out everywhere. Honest to God, held out everywhere. And then I came to Maktabat al-Rushd And I saw a little book And I said New, I had a new sticker It said, new, jadid <laughs> You tramp I said, you tramp I said, you waste man Then I saw another one next to it Love stories it was called I go, these boys, Yasser Burjas and Yahya Ibrahim, they think they're the love doctors. I opened that, I saw some ajeeb stuff in there. I said, oof, oof. I said, I love that. I love that. So, Qasas al So nice it is. So nice. It's such a nice cover as well. The book is so nice. And then I saw a really nice one. Some nice tadabbur on. Uh, some suor. That's it. All I need to see is a sticker saying Jadid, and that's it. Capitalism has got us. Just put new. Just keep churning it out. Like I don't have all of this stuff, Yani, as part of bigger works. But insan is like that. 
And so you keep people just, you know, individually walking around by himself, set him another service, a subscription service, keep watching this, keep warm. Let's, let's now that he's alone, let's sell him yani, electric blankets. Now that he's alone, let's sell him food delivery service. Now he's alone and, he, and, and he's sick to death of food delivery service. Let's sell him an air fryer. Now let's make the air fryer the single greatest invention in history. Now let's make it out that you can't live without an air fryer. Now let's start making up that person feel independent. Earlier on, my missus goes, goes, I don't even want to know what thermonics is. Don't even speak to me. I don't, I'm not going to check it. I don't, that word has entered into my mind and disappeared before you create another fitna. It's you people who make me any into this situation. But I'm going to give you an example. My missus was saying, you know, should I go back to Egypt again, another date or whatever, whatnot. And immediately I thought to myself, yeah, that's not a problem because I've got an Ephra. <laughs> oh my God. Everything, everything is just like that. Anyway, how many tangents? You see, people complain that I don't do any tangents anymore. This is what happens when I do tangents. We get no work done and thingy. Great for samosas, by the way. Let me just say, great for samosas. Okay, don't listen to her as an at all. Um, now, Sheikh says, let's get religious. Can we get religious, please? Sheikh says, it's important to know these people are being gathered and especially in the middle kind of gathering because Juma is the greatest day of the week. And the sun never rose on a greater day than the Friday. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has specified it for this ummah. And as the hadith states that the and the hadith is preferred at the bottom um, as well, hadith narrated by Muslim eight hundred and fifty six, that it was offered, it was made clear to the people before us. And the Jews misguided themselves from it and they fed on Saturday. And then the Christians, they were given the choice as well, and they misguided themselves and they landed on the Sunday. And then we, and it got the offer, and we took it, and we took the best of the three, and they got the, the two of what they got. And we uh, end up coming later than them, least time to do as much good, least time to be guided, least time to repent. And we got the best day, we got the best ummah, we got the best prophet, and we are the best nation before Dillah Azza wa Jal. End of. What a sick line, Bashar Khawatani. He's going off on it one time. And she says that, and anyone who wants to then read the rest of its beautiful characteristics, its special kind of particularities, then let him look at Zad al Ma'ad. Zad al Ma'ad, by the way, by Ibn al Qayyim, is a fantastic book and is translated in English. And everybody should have a copy. It's translated in English, a couple of translations. Not that I have any of them, but I have seen them in bookshops. And I, certainly one of them was a lot better than the, uh, the, the earlier one was like one that's been out for 10, 20 years, which is like a Lebanese job. Yeah, like, you know, when we say they were Lebanese, normally kind of saying it as a put down, kind of a business decision, just get some professional, uh, corporate, commercial, I should say, translators. Whereas a proper scholar, you know, master of the language, that's not their concern. But I do believe that a second one was done. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, Zad al-Ma'ad by Ibn al-Qayyim. Very, very good book. All right. So, Salat al-Jum'ah, folks. Telzamu kullu dhakarin. Right? Um, the uh, Jum'ah prayer 
is obligatory. It is required. It is not so good. Okay, the Dar es Salaam was not so good. Thank you for that, Hannah. I didn't know that. Provision for the hereafter. Um, so who has to pray the Jumu'ah prayer? A very specific class of person. First of all, it has to be a male. And therefore, neither the female or the hermaphrodite, okay, which the people call intersex these days because they have a problem with the word hermaphrodite. I couldn't care less about what people would think. That's the word we know. And I believe that when you go into the concept of intersex, I haven't gone into it, but I understand that when you do, you're playing their game. You know the games of using his and hers and pronouns and all that bakwas, yeah? So I'm not interested in being anybody else's game. Hermaphrodite, I'm, I'm cool with. Um, so they are not required to pray the Jumu'ah prayer. Neither the, the female, neither the hermaphrodite. And um, Sheikh says that, that the evidence that it's only for males is the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ. That do not prohibit the female servants of Allah from the houses of Allah and their houses are better for them. And if you look at the bottom, you'll see, this is on page 6, yeah, you'll see that the reference for this hadith is given as Bukhari, hadith number 900, and Muslim, 442. Of course, anybody who knows this hadith or knows about Bukhari Muslim knows that this is not correct. And actually, only the first part of this hadith is in Bukhari Muslim. This is hadith Bukhari Muslim. Do not prohibit the female servants of Allah from the houses of Allah. The second part is not in the narrations of Bukhari and Muslim. And it is not authentically narrated. And um, uh, that's important to remember. Many people don't know that. Okay, so the part where the houses are better for them is not in Bukhari or Muslim. Is it authentic as its own hadith? Well, according to a number of scholars, it is. According to a number of scholars, this, this hadith has been narrated a number of times in the books of the Sunan, like Abu Dawood and Ibn Majah, etc. But all of them are, have some issue. It's not like the most authentic hadith you will find. But regardless, the point is, is that it's not part of Bukhari and Muslim. Now, to carry on, yeah, Sheikh says, هذا إن لم يصح لحديث النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم He goes, so that's the evidence. So obviously, he's going along with the uh, position that, that uh, women, their homes are better for them. So he's going along with that and saying, well, there you go. Women, so if, if something is better for women at, to pray at home, then clearly it can't be obligated upon them. And that's true if we accept the hadith. And we, as I said, many scholars hold the hadith to be authentic in other narrations. No one knows, no one believes it's from Bukhari Muslim though. And not that Sheikh Uthameen said that, by the way. I just want to say that Sheikh Uthameen didn't say that it's in Bukhari and Muslim, but he's just saying that it's authentic as a hadith, and he's right. Many hold that to be the case. Now, listen, he said that, and if that wasn't good enough, the fact that it says, um, that the prayer is better for them at home Which clearly indicates it's not an obligation There is another hadith Which isn't so authentic But if it was authentic Then that says That the Jumu'ah prayer Is an obligatory right upon every single Muslim Except for four Except for four 
Abdun Mamluk, the slave, or Imra'a, or a woman, or Sabi, or a child, or Maryam, or the ill person. These are the four exempted categories from the Jum'ah prayer according to uh, this hadith. However, this hadith is not authentic. As he himself indicated, he goes, I mean, if it's authentic, then there's that hadith as well. But, you know, and if it is authentic, then it's very clear that then the woman is not obligated anyway. Now, Sheikh says, so that's clear about why it's not obligated upon the female. Now, by the way, even if you disagree on the hadith and all the rest of it, okay, uh, even if you disagree on uh, the hadith and authenticity and the wording and etc., etc., the actual statement um, of it not being obligatory upon women is the position of virtually every scholar that there is. Um, I'm struggling to think of who even considers it obligatory upon women, and I think the answer is none. Because even if you were to consider every hadith to be weak, that suggests that the prayer for the woman is better for her at, uh, at home, yeah, even if they were all weak, right, and you were insistent that a woman has to pray in the masjid, even someone like Ibn Hazm, for example, yeah, you know, who is like a big champion of women in praying in the masjid. But I don't even think, I mean, it would be interesting to find out, does he, does, I don't know, does he consider it to be obligatory upon women to pray Jum'ah? No, I don't think so at all. I'd be shocked, actually. I don't think so. But anyway, the point is, is that it was clear from the time of the Prophet, just even the authentic, لا You don't say to the Muslims, don't prevent the women from coming to the masjid, if it's obligatory upon them. Do you know what I mean? You say that to people who are taking advantage of the fact that it's not the done thing to go to the masjid, which it isn't. They can't. Who's going to look after the kids? Who's going to look after the family? Who's going to look after the house? Who's, how, how, how's a pregnant woman going to be going to the masjid or whatever? And most of the time, a woman is either pregnant or breastfeeding for a large 10, 20 years of her life, right? Look at the normal template. Look at the template of the, of the prophetic life woman. The Prophet ﷺ said, marry those that are Yani are thingy that are have high fertility. That's the the recommended a woman to marry. Yes, high fertility does not mean therefore two, three, four kids. You're meant to have lots and lots of children. Just by basic physiological facts, person's going to be yani doing that for years. Yeah, hundred percent logistically, it would be an absolute nightmare. Even even the jama'ah of the daily prayer, let alone yani weekly. Uh, uh, whatever. So I don't know anyone who says that. But my point is, is that the hadith is clear that that don't prevent the ladies from coming. Okay, yeah, okay. We didn't obligate upon them. We don't need to have them there. But if they want to come, don't prevent them. That's what the hadith means, isn't it? You get what I'm saying? So um, this point stands. The second point, <laughs> you're gonna love this one. He goes, as for the hermaphrodites, why are they not obligated? He goes. Even this person himself doesn't know whether he's a man or woman. <laughs> Astaghfirullah. That's funny. You shouldn't laugh for that. It's actually quite a funny line. He goes, Yanni, if he doesn't know, how are you going to, how are you going to, you can't, Yanni, uh, just, you know, assume and make something obligatory upon someone when he doesn't even know whether he's a man or a woman. Right? 
And women, it's not obligatory. And if you don't know for absolute certain whether you're a man or a woman, or what you're going to choose, okay, then we can't obligate something upon you on the assumption that you might be a woman. Do you get my point? That's actually you know, a fair point. You know what I mean? It's a fair point. It's a funny point. Shouldn't laugh, but I'm weak like that. And it's a fair point. And she also said something, uh, he also said something as well. He goes, also the woman is not someone of the congregation or the gatherings. Yani it's not someone who makes up a gathering. Now, what does the word make up a gathering mean? Okay. Uh, uh, she's not counted. So you heard some of the phrases which we're going to come to next week, that when it comes to the numbers of 40, the 40 have got to be 40 people who fulfill legal conditions. So if there was like 38 men and two women, this is not 40 people. You can't pray Juma because the two ladies themselves do not fulfill the legal requirements of people who Juma is obligated upon and therefore the Juma cannot be legally convened, can't be established. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so therefore, uh, it's important to know that a woman is not actually someone from the Jama'ah. That's why there's a lot of difference of opinion about what happens when a man and a woman pray by themselves. And some didn't like it, right? Even the man and, uh, even the man and his wife, and even then they accepted it as an exception because of some evidence from the Prophet A woman prays right behind, yeah? So what about someone who's not your wife? It's just you and so some random woman, you know, who's a couple of rows back by herself. Some people said you can't do that. She's not from the Jama'ah, from the people that is to be considered as a second person to you to pray. Is, is two of them, Yani, together? There's scholars that discuss that as well. You know, there are some scholars that said, fuqaha, that said that there is no female congregational prayer. No such thing. There's no actual female congregational prayer. And I don't mean like some kind of random voices. I mean, in the books of fiqh from the Ayyamut al-Arba'ah, from the schools, they said that there is no congregational prayer. doesn't need to worry about it. She gets rewarded the same. And there's difference amongst the female sahabiyat. You remember me discussing that in uh, the fiqh al-Salah. But anyway, she's just not from Ahl al-Jama'ah. That doesn't mean, as you saw in, when I read the translation out, if she attends, she gets the reward. She gets the reward of the prayer, but she's not seen as a legal, like, necessary kind of component. You get what I'm trying to say? Think about that. Um, what's the second condition? The second condition is hur, uh, right? Hur meaning that they are free. That means that they're the opposite of being enslaved. It's very interesting what he says here. He goes, what we mean by that is someone who's owned. Even if he is white. Walaukan ahmar. Ahmar means red, which means white. Okay, so he's trying to make it out. This has got nothing to do with race or just thinking, you know, black and, you know, you don't deserve it or whatever. You know, this kind of racist kind of uh, trope. So it's very interesting how he said that. He's saying that uh, it doesn't matter whether this person is like who you think is so noble and all the rest of it, you know, white and the superior race, whatever. And also not someone who's from some tribe as well. It doesn't matter. If he's a slave, it's because of him enslaved. It doesn't matter if he's got a noble lineage, because it's possible. Normally, of course, lineage is a slave pa passes on, right? But sometimes, you know, someone very noble and respected could be enslaved in war. It's the exception, but it could happen. Yeah? So he's saying it has nothing to do with that. It's, it has everything to do with just being the legal status of being a slave. And this is a very interesting 
thingy, but before we do that, let's have a quick mention here. Like in university, Musalla, there might be only one man. Yeah, yeah, it happens. It happens, definitely. Where did it happen just now, recently? Ah, MYF. MYF, me and Shaz were there. Me and Shaz were there, MYF. And we were praying, and I was wondering, you know, I was just leading the salah quietly. I was thinking, well, the ladies here, there's one or two there behind. You know, could happen. Is that because women don't socialize as much as men? Mm, I don't know. I don't know. Women don't socialize as much. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Right. Now, what are the reasons why the slave does not, uh, uh, is not obligated for the Jum'ah? Well, first of all, Sheikh says the hadith, and the hadith I mentioned earlier on, that the Jum'ah is an obligatory right upon every Muslim except for four, the slave, the woman, the, the young, the child, and the sick person. But we've already said this hadith is weak, so but just keep that to the side. The second reason that the slave is not obligated for the Jum'ah prayer is because he is occupied in the service of his master. He does not have permission to be doing things because he is employed permanently. This is important. He says, some scholars said, no, he has to go Jum'ah. Even the slave, Muslim slave obviously, has to go Jum'ah because he's also included in the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala um, that's, what the, 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 that's what he said Sheikh wants to say That maybe Maybe that he's, he's generally called But he's probably the accepted class In the people who believe That he's not allowed to go One, because the hadith is weak So that doesn't matter And second Because the fact that he is uh, 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 Busy and occupied in the employment or But that's not right, is it? the ownership of his master, then therefore he can't go. This is also a weak argument. Because there is no obedience to the creation in disobedience to the creator. You can't obey your master whilst disobeying Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay? If the master, his owner, of the slave allows him to attend the Jum'ah, he must go. So if he was saying to him, like, listen, you've got a couple of hours off, it's up to you, he can't just go lie down and say, yeah, well, you know what, good thing I'm a slave then, and I'm going to just have a couple of hours here. No, he has to go to Jum'ah. This is what Sheikh Uthameen says, because he has no uh, excuse. And the thing that was preventing him from going, which was his ownership, has now been removed. He's been given that kind of uh, thing. Sheikh says this is the, the balanced statement. I don't accept the, pay, the statement that says it's obligatory upon him, and I don't accept the statement that says it's never obligatory upon him. He's basically saying that, well, if the owner allows him, then he has to go. If the owner gives him permission, and it just goes to show, you know, that um, not fun being a slave, bro. No freedom whatsoever. Sheikh says, لِأَنَّ حَالَ الْعَبْدِ فِي الْحَقِيقَةِ إِذَا تَصَوَّرُوا if you look at the situation of the slave, what is he? 
he can't say anything. He can't say, right, I'm going to go now. He can't, he, can't, he can't do anything. Okay? Um, so he goes, if you imagine that we're going to obligate and necessitate from a slave something which he does not have the permission to do, does not have the ability to do. Imagine that. Okay? This is too much. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not put that kind of hardship upon a person, you know, force him in a scenario where it's just a nightmare. Allah says, وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ did not, Allah did not place in your religion difficulty. Surah Al-Hajj verse 78. This is therefore the right position, position in the middle. Those who didn't obligate it, sorry, between those who said it's not obligatory at all and those who said, no, he must go, he's obligated just like the rest of the believers. This is... Uh, uh, the way to 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 understand it, okay, and he goes. You can see that the hadith yani makes it, when someone's mamluk, you're just you're just a possession. You're owned. How can a person is owned? And he goes. And you know what he goes. What's really strange is that some of them said that the jumaah is not obligatory upon the slave, but the jamaah is. So the obligatory prayers, it is obligatory. These are some scholars. They said the Jummah is not obligatory upon him, but the Jama'ah is. He goes, uh, he goes, if you, if, uh, he goes, if, uh, if, if, you are, if you were to ask me and you were to look at the, the hadith, that if this hadith was sahih, okay, if this hadith was actually authentic, that the, that the, that the person doesn't need to go Jummah, and yet needs to go to the jama'ah. Can you imagine how weird that would be? Can, does that make sense to you? That a person is obligated to go to something which is obviously valuable, but it happens five times a day, and it happens every single day. And then the thing which is clearly more valuable, because it only happens once a week, so 35 times a week versus once a week, and that is not yeah, any more deserving to be attended and not more obligatory. He's right, isn't he? He's right. So he goes that uh, that doesn't make any sense anyway. So Sheikh Uthameen's position, class permission, and therefore we are on this yani, as well as class, is that if the slave was to be given permission, he must go. And then I think, final, finally, let's uh, uh, yeah, no, let's get them get through this. Yeah, mukallaf. The third condition is that they must be mukallaf, legally responsible. Legally responsible is composing of is composed of two uh, characteristics. Bulug, got to be mature, yeah? And aql, got to be uh, one someone of understanding, has to have intellectual ability. What's the evidence for that? The Prophet ﷺ said that the pen has been lifted from three, from the young one until he becomes mature, from the uh, uh, insane one until he regains sanity, and from the sleeping one until he wakes up. Okay, this hadith is sahih, as you know. Um, so these three people, the pen has been lifted from. And so therefore, a person who is not mature and a person who does not have the ability to think and understand, they are not mukallaf. They don't have taklif, legal burden upon them in life. They don't have legal responsibility. So everyone who has legal responsibility must pray the Jumu'ah. Okay, the, uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, he goes, also, by the way, the difference between these two, though, the, the, the young one, the child and the, and the insane one, is that if the child was to pray Jum'ah, it will be accepted from them, but the insane one, it would not be accepted from them because they do not have the ability 
to understand and therefore they are not able to formulate a niyyah and the Prophet ﷺ said that all of the actions are by intention and therefore the one who has no ability or, or intellect or sanity or understanding cannot form a niyyah and anyone who can't form a niyyah cannot have an act of worship as opposed to a youth or a child as long as they are mutamayyiz or mumayyiz meaning the one who's able to distinguish between right and wrong and good and bad and hot and cold and you know money and xyz and understand something like six seven years old this person can have a niyyah, can have an intention
Um, I don't think... What, the, the volume is back? The volume is back? All right. Okay. Halas. What I did is to do the opposite of what Shazad Salim said. Okay, and we'll just make that very clear. <laughs> okay. But it sounds different though, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, the worst thing that I forgot to do completely on one hour session is... Um, is to uh i forgot to press record on the uh, thing that's the part which upsets me the most i forgot to press record it's been so so stressful today i tell you man i apologize folks anyway i think i was saying that um yeah i think it went when i was speaking about the child yeah and um yeah. Sheikh says that if it's accepted from the child but not from the uh, insane one, do we command the child to pray the Jum'ah prayer? The answer is yes. If they're seven years old, then that is what we do. And we will tell that child, you know, nicely. And if they start to refuse to go to edge of tent, then they get some beats. Okay? Because the Prophet ﷺ said, Muru abna'akum alayha li sab'in wadribuhum alayha li ashar. Yani, Pass it by them when they're seven and give them some yani, some of the good ones yani, if uh, at the age of 10 and they're still refusing. Okay. And then the final condition for now, for tonight, okay, is Muslim. This is the fourth condition. I don't want to do the other one. The other one's a long one. Yeah. And this is that they've got to be Muslim. You might say, well, that's a bit obvious, but he goes, well, that... Um, these do need to be legally established. And the kafir, neither is it valid from them and neither is it obligated upon him, according to the Hanabila. Why? Because the first evidence, okay, is the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at the page of page, top of page 9, about And what prevented, yani, the their spending being accepted from them, except that they disbelieved in Allah. And Sheikh makes a really nice point. He goes, and subhanAllah, if you think about spending, how many benefits do you get from spending, right? You don't need to be a religious person to feel that sense of happiness and how many people are helped and how many people are hungry, are starving, and they're saved, and people who are this and that, they're saved, and you can help so many ways. And if that's not accepted, subhanAllah, from the kafir, you could do that for so many reasons, just because you're a nice person. And if that's not accepted from the kafir, then what about an act of worship which does not have many benefits? Nowhere near as many benefits as spending. But it's very specific for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's sake alone. Honestly, this is a wonderful point, you know that? It is a very interesting piece of tadabbur, guys. Secondly, the statement of the Prophet when he sent Mu'adh to Yemen, and he said to him, let the first thing that you call them to be Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah and that Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi And if they respond to you with that, then teach them that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has obligated upon them five prayers in the day. And so the obligation of the prayers comes after the shahadatain. Do you understand? Not before. 
So you first have got to become Muslim first, then you become obligated to the prayer, not the other way around. So these are the two reasons why the kuffar cannot be accepted from them. person might say, فَإِنْ قَالَ قَائِلْ إِذَا كَانَ مِنْ الْإِسْلَامِ If it's a condition of Jum'ah for a person to be Muslim, then does that mean that the kafir will not get punished for it then because he's not a Muslim? So how can he then be punished for it? Because it's not obligated upon him? Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah? And Sheikh says, no, no, he will be punished. He's not going to be safe from punishment. Because the correct position, and we spent a lot of time on this, by the way, in the early years. Sheikh says that the correct position from the scholars is that the kafir, Islam, he is held accountable even to the specifics of Islam, to the secondary matters as well. He's not just held accountable to the big matters, like, you know, belief in Allah, belief in the messenger, the final day of judgment. These, these, are, the, these are the big things. And he's held accountable to those big things, no doubt. But also the little things, the halal eating, the halal drinking, the X, the Y, the Z, yeah? All of these things are the big things. These things, they will be held accountable. And the evidence for that is Surah Mudathir, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِلَّا أَصْحَابِ الْيَمِينَ فِي جَنَّاتٍ يَتَسَاءَلُونَ عَنِ الْمُجْرِمِينَ مَا سَلَكَكُمْ فِي سَقَارْ قَالُوا لَمْ نَكُنَ الْمُصَلِّينَ وَلَمْ نَكُنَ نُطْعِمُ الْمِسْكِينَ وَكُنَّا نَخُوضُ مَعَ الْخَائِضِينَ وَكُنَّا نُكَذِبُ يَوْمِ الدِّينَ حَتَّى أَتَانَ الْيَقِينَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says from verse 39 to 47, uh, except the, as for the, uh, the, the about the criminals. And they'll say to them, what threw you into the hellfire? And the criminals will, will cry out, we were those who didn't pray. And we did not feed the poor. And we used to chill with the dosses. And we used to deny the, the day of judgment until the certainty came to us, meaning what's happening right now. And so therefore, they themselves mentioned that one of the reasons that they've entered the fire is that they didn't pray and that they didn't feed the... the uh, the, the poor. So, Sheikh says, therefore, in my opinion, the kafir is going to be punished for everything that they do. This is a sobering thought to end on, by the way. It's not, it's not prohibited from him. He's not forced to do these things and he's not going to be prevented from doing it. It's up to you. This is part of the misguidance but he'll be punished for all of his eating, for his drinking, for everything that he does. And I want you to just think about this. The evidence for this, he's Sheikh Uthameen says, the evidence for this is لَيْسَ عَلَى الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا وَعَمِلُوا الصَّالِحَاتِ جُنَاحٌ فِي And there is no blame upon those who believe and do good in what that which they eat. See that? So those who believe and do good, there's no blame in what they eat. Therefore, those who don't believe and don't do good, they will be blamed for what they eat. What does blame here mean? It means held accountable. It means that they will be punished for it. Who gave you permission to do that? Who allowed you to do that? Yeah, and on what basis? Yeah? Okay? So... And then Allah also says, قُلْ مَنْ حَرَّمَ زِينَةَ اللَّهِ الَّتِي أَخْرَجَ لِعِبَادِهِ وَالطَّيِّبَاتِ مِنَ الرِّزْقِ قُلْ هِيَ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, and who is the one who has denied the beautification of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he has created for his, his slaves and all of the beautiful things from his provision? Say, it is for those people who believe in this life and purely for them in the next life. Therefore, it's not for the, those who don't believe and it's not then for the non-Muslims in the hereafter. Therefore, they will be held accountable for it and questioned for it. And Sheikh says something really interesting here. He's going to be punished for everything, every blessing, all of his health, all of his clothes, his drink, his everything. He goes because the logic tells you that if someone is being good to you, all right, okay, then you would obey them, you would listen to them, you would love them, you would respect them, you'd appreciate them. He goes, this is from يعني, the... Uh, the most obvious of adab and 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 manliness and 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 manners and and aqal, yani whatever. And the one who who doesn't do that after they had given all of these blessings and help and, and fun and life and senses and enjoyment and happiness, and they don't worship Allah subhanahu wa taala, of course they deserve to be punished. End of. And that is the end for me as well. All right. So we stop on page ten. Uh, with that. Alright, let's do some questions. That's hardcore stuff, man. Sheikh Uthameen, when he goes into Quran mode, man, sick. Uh, where are we? There is a scholar claiming that there is no Jumu'ah in the West because it was established on the basis of there being an Islamic state and a Khalifa who leads it or appoints someone. Therefore, if there is no Khalifa or state to lead it, then there's no Jumu'ah. How do we counteract this argument? Actually, um, first of all, not every argument needs to be counteracted. This is ridiculous and of course never been said historically ever except from a group of people that when they created this bid'ah of the there's nothing without the Khalifa, they went back to the early time of the, the Murtaddin, those who apostated against Abu Bakr al-Siddiq and said that there's no zakat without the leader. And you're not the one who it should be given to, it should be given to the Prophet When you start making Islamic acts uh, contingent and dependent upon personalities, this is the bid'ah which creates all of this problem in the first place. You get what I'm saying? And so therefore, um, no one has ever said this before and it doesn't need refuting. He's refuted himself. It's full of nonsense. And um, they have to prove these points. And as I said, this is unfortunately the side effects of, of people like the Hezbollah Tahrir movement in its forms. Now they've kind of educated themselves to realize that they can't convert people with, with, with this kind of ideology. So they kind of hide that point now or maybe they've even fixed it I don't know is this a good point is this a good point to ask about the position of people moving kids to the back and Sheikh Abu Nafimi's position of how this discourages the kids I don't know if there's any discussion it's wrong it's not allowed to put someone back who gets there early and you know puts that effort in that's not right we talk about the hadith of not making the daily congregation too long for the people does this apply to the Taraweeh congregation um, it's an interesting question because in my opinion, the taraweeh is not even really a legislated prayer um, in principle. A person should be praying themselves. But because they don't have the ability to, the Prophet ﷺ allowed it and the companions allowed it for those people who don't know. So it's really, it's a public service. And you should be telling the public service that the taraweeh is the whole recitation of Qur'an, you know, in these nights. Kind of crazy that you're telling them that and then, then you know, they're not, they're not kind of, you know, they're not there. Uh, or, or they they want it to be over and done with. I don't think it's sunnah to shorten it. No, and I agree with 
what Amir said. Then the whole concept of Taraweeh is to take rest during the long kind of hours. Uh, but I do think people should be given a choice, not forced. They should be told there's an option here, option there, which normally happens. If after Haid one is not sure about reaching purity and ends up being pure after the time of Salah is finished, she should combine the Miss Salah with the one that has now entered. Um, so there is a difference of opinion on this, okay? I don't think it's obligatory. There are some scholars that said, listen, if it can be combined, then it's all to be seen as one time and you should pray it. But I don't believe it's obligatory. All right? Wallahu a'lam. Regarding the pen that has been lifted from the insane one, what would you say about the one who has schizophrenia? It's about levels, right? There's a, there's a spectrum. There are some people that are, are not aware. And if you're not, then you're not obligated. And if you are aware and you're just zonged out and you kind of got a, a rough idea of what's happening, then you are obligated. It's all a case-by-case -case basis. Okay? A person is a visitor in a city. They read the Har Shorten, but in his correct time. They read the Har Shorten, but in his correct time. And intended to perform Asr in its time, but accidentally read it 10 minutes early. Did they have to repeat the Asr because they read it prior to its time, did not have the intention that they read it early because they were traveling? I think so. I think anyone who is not intending to pray it early needs to pray it again. That's my, uh, my position. I can see scholars saying that's okay though. But I don't think, um, I, don't, I wouldn't do that. And Allah knows best. Is there a specific dua for the janazah prayer of a baby boy? I also wanted to ask if it's permissible to be sitting. sitting. This is, uh, I don't want to speak about the, the, the detailed matters. The baby boy issue is a long and detailed one. There is no specific dua, but there's a lot of discussion around it. I uh, also want to ask if it's permissible to be in a sitting of a loud dhikr, mehfil, mehfil zikr, as the packs call it. The grieving father specifically wants me there. It's obviously not a time to give them that. I just want to show me support by being there. I think it's allowed, yeah. Yani, when someone is putting you in the spot and you feel that there's going to be a big fitna if you don't do it, can you do it? I think there's some space for that. Okay? Um, if you forget praying a salah, no. It needs to be prayed immediately. It must not be combined. You must pray immediately. You're not allowed to combine the prayer and delay it more. And with the current situation, is it permissible to work with the Saudi Ministry of Defense as a client project? I think it is in general. I don't think that you know any specifics that make it haram, otherwise we get in a bit of a problem. I don't think it's entirely haram. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. All right, guys. Jazakumullah khair. Um, lots of different things happening. Keep an eye, obviously, for Hajj folks. If you know, then they need to be really quick and join the Telegram group, which is at hajjwithau.com slash hajj. The big class, as I said, fiqh of death, spread it to everybody. Listen, guys, LP students especially, you have an obligation, I see it upon you, that all the people that you know, friends, family, this, that, whatever, someone in their house should have an account, an Al-Maghrib account, and it should be on there so it stays there when something happens. Because it will happen. It will happen. And they need to be able to have access, quick access, got good menu system, tuck, 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 bam. You've got to convince people whatever way it takes. Just, yeah, and some people just don't take good advice. You have to force it upon them. So there's that. And then don't forget Paradise Portfolio, three weeks time as well. Fiqh of Zakat, uh, a weekend class, Saturday and Sunday, inshallah. Lots of stuff, folks. And then an announcement next week as well, inshallah. Yep. Wait, you're such a little rascal, you know that. All right, guys. Jazakumullah khair. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika. Shadu wa la ilaha ilan. Tustafirukallahumma wa atubu ilayk. Wassalamu alaikum wa barakatuh. Different class, Mahjibin, to the one that we